Okay, three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Today is Friday, November 16th for about an hour and a half longer. It's 10.30 my time, probably. If you're listening on the East Coast, you've already gone to bed by now. Um, it's super late. It's been a long day. I've been preparing to go home for Thanksgiving break. I'm so very excited. Uh, but I have a good show today. I want to talk about some interesting stuff. And I think I want to start today with Aaron Rodgers. So, last night on Thursday Night Football, the Seahawks beat the Packers 27-24. to Packers lost. They're now 4-5-1. and one. And I'm sorry to say their season is over. What does this mean? This means that the Packers head coach, Mike McCarthy, is going to lose his job at the end of the year. That's my prediction. Mike McCarthy will be fired. I mean, there's been growing tension all year between the Packers quarterback and their head coach. Seems like one of them has to go. And I mean, let's don't forget, in August, Aaron Rodgers signed a $134 million extension. He's not going anywhere. So Mike McCarthy is going to have to go at the end of the year. Here's what we learned at the end of the Packers' loss against the Seahawks. You can't expect Aaron Rodgers to be Superman. It's not fair. And it's not just Aaron Rodgers. Quarterbacks in general. I know that quarterbacks are the most important position in the entire NFL. We've all decided that. It's, it's true. But it takes more than just a quarterback to win in the NFL. I mean, Dan Marino was way more talented than Joe Montana, but Joe Montana has four Super Bowl rings. Joe Montana won nothing. <laughs> nothing. He might be the, the greatest underachieving quarterback in NFL history. Joe Montana was way less talented than Dan Marino, but Dan Marino did not have the same help that Joe Montana had. I mean, great chefs, guys like Gordon Ramsay, Anthony Bourdain, my two favorite chefs of all time. May Anthony Bourdain forever rest in peace. I love Gordon Ramsay. Even a great chef needs great ingredients. You give Gordon Ramsay wilted lettuce, soggy, wilted, awful, rotten tomatoes, bad olive oil. You give him all those ingredients, he can't make great food. Even a great chef needs great ingredients to make a good dish. Even a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers needs help if he wants to win. Now, my initial reaction to the Seahawks-Packers game was to go, oh, no. You know, Aaron Rodgers just simply isn't holding up his end of the bargain. That's what I thought immediately, but that is wrong. Here's why I thought that. Here's why that's wrong. Yes, the Packers roster is mediocre. And we had a belief at the beginning of the season that Aaron Rodgers would be able to elevate an average Packers roster. But what we should have seen was against the Bears when it took a miracle for the Packers to win. It took... Aaron Rodgers taking an incredible couple of plays at the end of the fourth quarter to beat the Bears. That should have been the canary in the coal mine, the warning at the beginning of the year. Oh, no. This isn't sustainable. That crazy comeback was fun, but that's not sustainable week to week. I do want to talk about the Packers' final drive. The Packers' final drive of Thursday Night Football was a very weird one. Um, I believe it's indicative of the Packers' biggest problems. And I think, honestly, one of the problems with the Packers is actually their quarterback, Aaron Rodgers. In some ways, that's their biggest issue. It's not entirely Aaron Rodgers, and it's not Aaron Rodgers' fault necessarily. 
but it's the attitude everyone in Green Bay has towards Aaron Rodgers. I believe it was, uh, I think it was Colin Coward a couple years ago. He, he threw out that Aaron Rodgers was deodorant. That's what he said. Aaron Rodgers was deodorant covering the Packers stink. And at some point, deodorant doesn't work anymore. You got to take a shower. Day two, day three. It's like, dude, you smell bad. No amount of deodorant's going to solve that. You got to just take a shower. It's time for the Packers to do that. The deodorant's not masking the smell anymore. And the Packers' reliance on Aaron Rodgers is finally catching up to them. They've used him as a crutch for years, and it's simply, sorry, doesn't work anymore. Now, I, I do think that Aaron Rodgers likes being the crutch. He likes being the hero at the end of the game. Aaron Rodgers won the game in the headline, in the interview, all that stuff. Aaron Rodgers, I think, likes the spotlight. He enjoys that. But here's why the Packers' final drive was weird, and it's indicative of this problem. The Packers got the ball with one minute, with, sorry, with five minutes left and one timeout. And I was so excited. I, I put on my Instagram story, yes, this is what I want to watch. And sadly, it was really anticlimactic. The Packers went three and out, and it didn't really matter. Here's what happened, though. On the first play, Aaron Rodgers had a lot of time to throw. And instead of taking a chance downfield, that one-on-one coverage, it was actually a solid look. He threw the ball away, didn't take a chance. On second down, he had a solid completion underneath. They gained eight yards. And on third and two, Aaron Rodgers threw the ball in the dirt. Had a guy open, skipped the ball into the ground. But why did that happen? Why did Aaron Rodgers throw the ball away on first down? Why did he throw the ball into the dirt on third down? Why did it seem like Aaron Rodgers had no urgency? Well, on fourth and two, the Packers decided to punt the ball. They're on their own 33-yard line. I guess it makes sense, but with five minutes left, you got to get a score. You got to go ahead and win the game. And my suspicion is that Aaron Rodgers believed they were going to go for it on fourth down. It never even occurred to Aaron Rodgers they were going to punt on fourth and two from their own 33-yard line with four minutes left. You go for it in that situation. I think that's what Aaron Rodgers really believed. This is why the culture around Aaron Rodgers, the culture in the Packers locker room is hurting them. There's that culture that Aaron Rodgers is the hero. He's the savior. And the problem is that subconsciously, when you have a hero, you put all your faith in them. You wait for Aaron Rodgers to make a play rather than making a play yourself. And it goes both ways. I mean, the team relies on Aaron to be the hero and Aaron's bought into it. He believes he is the hero for the Green Bay Packers. And I don't think Aaron Rodgers really even sees himself as part of the team. He sees himself as the savior, the hero for the Green Bay Packers. Of course, it doesn't matter if I throw the ball away on first down. Of course, it's okay if I skip the ball into the ground on third and two. We're going to go for it. I'm the hero. We're going to make it happen. I'll get another chance. He's thrown so many Hail Marys. He's made it work so many times at the end of games. Aaron Rodgers' perspective is simply warped. I don't like that, but it's true. That's what it seems like to me. It seems like Aaron Rodgers does not have a perspective of reality. He sees himself as the hero. He thinks he can always make it work. He always is pulling a rabbit out of the hat. Here's what Aaron Rodgers really is. He's kind of like me. I'm late all the time. I'm that guy that's five miles away on a hike. The sun is going down. I'm like, oh, I'll make it. It'll be fine. And the truth is I'm five miles from my car. It's dark. I'm walking with my phone trying to shine it as a flashlight. That's what happened to Aaron Rodgers. He thought he was going to get another chance. He thought he could be the hero. He always thought he had more time. Aaron Rodgers lacks urgency because his perspective is warped. 
that hero culture in the Packers has not only hurt the Packers' locker room, they rely on Aaron Rodgers completely, but he relies on himself far too much. It shows in the way he plays. He runs around. He makes great plays sometimes. Sometimes he throws the ball into bad situations that guys can't make the catch. He doesn't throw interceptions, but he throws really hard to catch one-on-one balls, back shoulder, yada, yada. He has too much faith in himself. He lacks the urgency he needs. I don't know. What happened was the Seahawks got the ball and never gave it back. Packers punted on fourth and two. And here's what happened. I'm sure that Rodgers was upset the Packers punted on fourth and two. What that did is it took away an opportunity for Aaron Rodgers to become the hero. And what it did is greatened the divide between the coaching staff and Aaron Rodgers. The Packers rely far too heavily on Aaron Rodgers. And I believe Mike McCarthy, their head coach, is going to be fired. That, that, that growing tension between them is, is too much. And I know that in some ways, I do think that Mike McCarthy moving on is a good thing for the Packers. The Packers need to make some kind of offensive innovation happen. They're getting upstaged by guys like Matt Nagy with the Bears or Sean McVay of the Rams. But a question a lot of people keep asking me is, are the Packers supporting Aaron Rodgers enough? Here's how I want to answer that. Some of the Packers' issues, some of the Packers' offensive issues are due to a lack of experience at the wide receiver position. I want to highlight one play in uh, in particular. There was one play last night that I went, ooh, that's a problem. It was Equinemius with an M. Equinemius St. Brown, a Packers rookie wide receiver, was running a dig route, which means he's running across the field to the left. And the Seahawks were in a zone defense, so there's a window between two linebackers. Window here, two linebackers on the right and left. And Rodgers threw the ball into the window between the two linebackers. It's a big window, like maybe six, seven yards. But Equinemius St. Brown didn't slow down in the window. He kept running all the way through the window into the next linebacker. The pass fell incomplete, and I understood Aaron Rodgers' frustration in that moment. Because what Equinemius St. Brown should have done was throttle down, slow down in the window. He would have caught that ball if he'd done that. But Equinemius St. Brown doesn't have the veteran savvy. He doesn't understand football well enough yet to know to do that. He said, the play told me to run a dig. I'm sure that's what happened in the conversation on the sideline. I was supposed to run to this spot. He doesn't have that understanding yet to know. Oh, I slow down at that moment. I find the window between the defenders. I don't run into another defender. I find the window. Some of that's because of youth. Some of that's because, you know, he's a rookie receiver. that doesn't really fully understand yet. But part of that does go to the Packers coaching staff. They didn't prepare their receiver for that moment. I hate to say this, but a Patriots wide receiver, a Bill Belichick coached wide receiver would have caught that pass. So I I really understand Aaron Rodgers' annoyance. I've struggled with this before. I play pickup basketball at my rec league. Can't really shoot. I I can. The one thing I can do in basketball, I'm, I'm a bad dribbler. I can't really shoot, but I can pass like no other. That's my, my skill. My brain just sees the window as I get a bunch of assists. If you want to score, play with me. I'll give you opportunities to score the basketball. And there was a pass, I think it was on Tuesday night. I was at the rec center. I think it was right after I recorded my last episode of Strong Opinion Sports. The defender's back was turned to me. And so I threw a pass down the basket right behind him. A perfect pass, hit my guy in the hands, and he dropped it. It would have been an easy layup. All he had to do was catch it, lay it up. 
He dropped it. He said he didn't expect the pass. And in that moment, I felt the same frustration that Aaron Rodgers felt. It was annoying. It's like, dude, catch up. Let's go. I'm, an, I, I'm, I'm certain Aaron Rodgers feels that way all the time with the Packers wide receivers. Let's go. Catch up. Learn. Get on the same page. I'm sure he's constantly frustrated with guys not throttling in the right window, not expecting the ball, running the wrong route, not reading the concept right. It looks like that kind of stuff happens all the time with the Packers wide receivers, and I'm sure he's frustrated. I'm sure it's even worse because they got rid of Jordy Nelson, a guy who would have never made those mistakes. Aaron Rodgers' favorite target, he was getting old, a little bit expensive for his age. The Packers said, we're not going to bring him back. He went to the Raiders. Oh, I'm certain every time Equinemia St. Brown screws up, he thinks in the back of his head, if I just had Jordy Nelson, it'd be okay. The bottom line is this. The Packers culture relies far too heavily on Aaron Rodgers. And Aaron Rodgers is really frustrated. He's becoming increasingly frustrated. You can see it on his face every single time. He's growing frustrated with the decision-making in Green Bay. <clears throat> I mean, they got rid of his quarterback coach last offseason. They got rid of his favorite wide receiver, Jordy Nelson. And now the Packers are 4-5-1. and one. And Mike McCarthy is going to get fired at the end of the year. But the Packers' culture needs to change, not just the head coach. The culture in Green Bay needs to change, top to bottom, from general manager to receiver to lineman, everybody. They need to put a little less faith in Aaron Rodgers, and, and not in a bad way. You Believe in Aaron Rodgers all the way. Here's what I mean. A quarterback is part of the situation, but Aaron Rodgers should not be Superman. Aaron Rodgers should not be a crutch. And right now, the Green Bay Packers rely far too heavily on Aaron Rodgers. He's like three-fourths of the pie. He needs to be a fourth. He needs to be a slice of the pie. Right now, Aaron Rodgers is almost everything. If, the, if Aaron Rodgers doesn't make every single play like he did against the Bears, pull a bunny out of his hat and make a magic trick happen, then the Packers can't win. Right now, again, I repeat, the Packers rely far too heavily on Aaron Rodgers. They need to change the culture in Green Bay and get Aaron Rodgers some help. <coughs> Still a little bit sick. It's been really frustrating. Uh, I have a great show today. I'm going to talk about how to fix the Dallas Cowboys. I've watched the film, kind of seen some of the problems. We're going to talk about Baker Mayfield. I'm going to talk about the four interceptions that Sam Darnold threw two weeks ago. Is it cause for concern? Should we be worried about Sam Darnold? We'll do quick opinions. It's a new segment you guys seem to really love. We'll talk about two fascinating games. And we're also going to do pick six at the end of the show. Remember, you can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast, as well as my best, most interesting clips. Help me grow by telling your friends about this show. I got to drink some water. My throat, dude, I, I don't know what's wrong with me. I have some kind of bacteria. I'm dying. It's horrible. I really hate it. <clears throat> I didn't really have my voice fully back. I did a podcast on Tuesday. Didn't have my voice fully back until yesterday. It was awful. Like I just, I would wake up every morning and go, hey, I couldn't make sounds. It was, oh, it was awful. All bad. I do, before we get into the topics, I want to say this. I got a, a message literally like six minutes ago from a guy on Instagram asking, hey, what do you think of the Washington State Arizona game tomorrow? I want to share my thoughts just briefly. Um, I am a little bit concerned. I think this could be somewhat of a trap for Washington State. It's easy for Washington State. They're playing at home against Arizona to overlook Arizona. 
Remember, Khalil Tate's getting healthy. He gets better every week because his, his leg, legs improve. He got hurt early in the year with his ankle. Um, and, and next week is the Apple Cup. Next week is also Thanksgiving. I think it's very possible that Washington State could overlook a team like Arizona who's down, but there's, they could still win some games. They could still put up some points. And so I fear somewhat for Washington State. I think the game's going to be a lot closer than people expect. I don't know that a lot of people are going to be there. I, I don't know how weather is going to affect the game because Arizona's coming up from the warm weather of Arizona into Pullman, Washington, where there's, really, you know, it's, it's freaking cold outside. Um, I don't know how they're going to handle that, but I'm somewhat slightly concerned for Washington State tomorrow, uh, and it's I think it's a game to watch. It's going to be closer than people realize, and if they lose tomorrow, it makes them look pretty bad. I want to now shift gears to two fascinating games. So every week I do this. These are the two most fascinating games of NFL Week 11. Uh, I call these Snake Charmer games. They're games that I just can't take my eyes off. No matter what I'm doing every week, these games lock me in. I, I, can't, I cannot avert my attention. The first game I want to talk about is Monday Night Football, the Chiefs at the Rams in L.A. This is a huge game. Both these teams are 9-1, and one, and I honestly have no idea who's going to win. Um, if you look at the head-to-head matchup, they both have great offensive coaches. Yeah, I've talked recently about how NFL teams need to innovate. They need to catch up to coaches like Sean McVay and Matt Nagy. Well, Andy Reid has done that. Andy Reid, give him credit. He has innovated. He has made a lot of changes over the years and really caught up with everybody in the NFL. He's one of the leading coaches in the offense on the offensive side in the NFL, making great play calls, designing interesting plays to get his guys into positions to be successful. So you got two great offensive minds. You have two fantastic quarterbacks. I think, honestly, the future of the NFL is Pat Mahomes and Jared Goff. So I'm so excited to watch this. Um, I will say that I think the Rams have a slight edge. They have a better defense. But, I mean, the Chiefs countered that with insanely good athletes all over the place. And, I mean, Travis Kelsey, Khalil Hunt, all, just it's, it's a nightmare for the Rams. Um, I, I think, I don't know, Monday Night Football, Chiefs, Rams, who's better? I have no idea. Um, I'd be shocked. Here's what I'd be surprised about. If this game's a blowout, I would be so surprised. I think this game's going to come down to the final possession. Uh, and, I, honestly, I just can't wait to watch. That's why it's on the fascinating games list. Chiefs-Rams is the best game we'll see maybe all year. It's going to be incredible, and uh, it's honestly a potential Super Bowl uh, preview, so I, I cannot wait to watch Chiefs and Rams on Monday Night Football. My second game is this. I want to talk about the Texans at the Redskins. Almost This game was almost the Bears and the Vikings, um, but I, frankly, I find the Texans and the Redskins more fascinating. Why the Texans and the Redskins? Um but first of all, both of these teams are 6-3. and three. They lead their divisions. The Texans lead the AFC South. The Redskins lead the NFC East. And both of them have teams in their division breathing down their neck. The Redskins are worried about the Cowboys and the Eagles. The Texans have the Titans and the Colts breathing down their neck. And I'm just really curious to see how do these teams play each other? How do they match up? It's a must-win for both games. They both need to get to 7-3 and three to solidify their position at the top of their divisions. But even more than that, how does a Texans defensive line deal with Aaron Rodgers? Or, excuse me, Aaron Rodgers. Adrian Peterson. How do they match up against the Redskins' great rushing attack? Does Alex Smith show up? I've been waiting kind of all year. Is this the game where Alex Smith and Adrian Peterson fall off a cliff? Because they do this every year. Last year, we saw Adrian Peterson do really well for a long time. And then he got hurt and he fell off a cliff. And every year, Alex Smith kind of dwindles towards the end of the year. He starts really strong and dwindles. Could this be the week, week 11 in November? I don't know. 
We'll find out, though. I'm very curious to see what happens. It's also worth noting Deshaun Watson, the Texans quarterback, gets better every single week. I mean, he's the wild card. He can run incredibly well, um, even though I think the Redskins have the advantage. I'm picking the Redskins to win this game. Deshaun Watson's legs could be the difference um, and could really cause a lot of problems for the Redskins. I'm honestly so fascinated to watch. I'm curious to see how these two teams match up, and whoever wins really is in a great position to win their division later down the road. Those have been two fascinating games. I want to talk about the Dallas Cowboys. If you ask me, the Dallas Cowboys have three issues. One is their quarterback, Dak Prescott. The second one is their offensive coaching. And the third problem is their owner, Jerry Jones. I want to start with Jerry Jones. And I hate to call Jerry Jones a problem. Uh, on one hand, he's a great owner, right? He supports his players. He gives them everything he need they need. And he's created a fantastic culture that values the players' needs and values the players' happiness. That really matters in Dallas. If I'm an NFL player, I want to go to Dallas. I want to be in that culture because that's a great place to work. And Jerry Jones, to his credit, has created that in Dallas. However, and you knew it was coming, Jerry Jones is far too involved with the decision-making when it comes to football. Uh, Honestly, I think that's why Jason Garrett is still the head football coach in Dallas, because Jason Garrett allows Jerry Jones to have a bit of control. If you ask me, I think Jerry Jones needs to step away. He needs to take a step back, let another coach come in and take control, let football people make football decisions. I love Jerry Jones, great guy, great owner. He needs to let football people make football decisions rather than butting in all the time. That's how, that's how it feels to me. It feels like he's got Jerry, he's got Jason Garrett in that head coaching position because he can do whatever he wants. He still has a lot of power. If he got another coach that might push back, there could be problems. Uh, it seems like that's why Jason Garrett's there. But let's talk about first the second problem for the Dallas Cowboys, Dak Prescott. <clears throat> Here's what Dak Prescott's really struggling with. Dak Prescott is hesitant. And he lacks anticipation. He's throwing the guys who are wide open. In fact, he's waiting for guys to get wide open before he'll pull the trigger and throw the ball. That's not good, obviously. But I'm really surprised at that, by the way, because Kellen Moore is the Cowboys offensive, Cowboys quarterback coach. If you remember, Kellen Moore is the former Boise State quarterback. I'm not joking when I say Kellen Moore was better than anybody in college football history when it came to anticipation. Kellen Moore had a weak little noodle arm. And so he had, he had to throw the ball early. He had to throw the ball before his guys broke. If the guy's going to break to the left, he threw the, guy before, he threw the ball before, not only before the guy broke, but before the guy's even gotten three steps from breaking. I mean, his arm was weak. He had to have great anticipation. And it's surprising to me that that hasn't rubbed off on Dak Prescott. I don't know what happened. I don't know why that's going on. But the offensive coaching is really letting Dak Prescott down. They're not teaching Dak anticipation He's also really struggling with accuracy. A lot of that's because of bad fundamentals. Whatever they're doing in Dallas, Dak Prescott's not getting the help he needs. That's why I'm okay with all the significant problems Dak Prescott has. I mean, he's not reading defenses well enough pre-snap. But why are these problems existing? What's happening here? Dak Prescott needs help. They're all fixable. All these issues Dak Prescott has are fixable if you get him the right offensive coaching. Um, we've seen the Bears have coached up Mitch Trubisky. If the Bears can win games with Mitch Trubisky at quarterback, certainly the Dallas Cowboys can find a way to win games 
with Dak Prescott. I like Dak Prescott far more than Mitch Trubisky. He's more accurate, better quarterback, more presence. Everything about Dak Prescott's better than Mitch Trubisky. Dak Prescott should be able to win games in the NFL. He needs help. He needs coaching. He needs to be developed by better coaching. And that's why we need to talk about the third problem in Dallas, and honestly, the most important problem. The Dallas Cowboys need better offensive coaching. Dak Prescott's still young. He's still developing. And he needs to get a coach who will develop him as soon as possible. That needs to happen this offseason, if not sooner. He needs to learn anticipation. He needs to learn how to make decisions pre-snap. And Dak Prescott needs help with better fundamentals and better footwork. I don't know. Maybe the answer is Lincoln Riley, but you need more creative play calling in Dallas. Lincoln Riley, the the Oklahoma head coach, I think it's a great option. If I'm the Cowboys, I get rid of Jason Garrett, and I find a way to bring in Lincoln Riley, the Oklahoma coach. I don't like calling for people's jobs. I'm really sorry. Maybe the answer isn't firing Jason Garrett. Maybe the answer is simply getting a new offensive coordinator. However, if a new head coach is brought in, if on any circumstance Jason Garrett is fired, a new head coach is brought in, Jerry Jones needs to back off. Jerry Jones needs to let football people make football decisions. I might be overstating this. I'm not in the meeting rooms. I don't know what's happening in there. But it appears to me like Jerry Jones meddles a little bit too much. He's getting better. He let Des Bryant finally go. I I don't know. Maybe he's just suggesting. Maybe he just wants to know. If this decision is getting made under the Dallas Cowboys, I want to know what's happening. But the appearance is you have Jason Garrett there because you like control. And if you bring in another head coach, you'd better let him make the decisions he wants. If you're not comfortable with that, don't fire Jason Garrett, but that could hurt Dak Prescott long-term. Because again, Dak Prescott needs better offensive coaching. You need to find a coach who can fix his issues. The last thing I want to say about Dak Prescott. So how do you, first of all, how do you solve the Dallas Cowboys problems? You get better offensive coaching. Dak is not necessarily the problem. Yes, Dak has problems, but they're all solvable if you get a new offensive coach, a new offensive coordinator, probably a new quarterback coach. I love Kellen Moore. Dude, I'm sorry. It's not working out. But hire a new offensive coach who can help Dak Prescott. The second little thing I want to say about Dak Prescott is this. I'd pay him some money. I'd I'd get him the money he wants. I think now is the time to pay Dak Prescott. His value is worth very little. He's not playing great. He's not incredible. Now is the time to pay Dak Prescott. You can get him if he gets better, right? The goal is to improve Dak Prescott down the road. If he goes to plan, he's going to be a great quarterback at the top tier of the NFL down the road anyways. That may not happen, but that's your goal in mind. Pay him now so you can get him at a great value down the road later. You give him $18 million now, and then he becomes one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL. You got Dak Prescott on a bargain Again, for the second contract in a row, that's what I would do if I was the Dallas Cowboys. Sign Dak Prescott, give him like a three-year deal, $18 million a year, and for the love of God, please hire some creative, innovative play calling. Get him a quarterback coach who can help him with his fundamentals, who can help him understand anticipation, and get some more creative play calling in Dallas. The number one problem in Dallas is not the defense. I love Demarcus Lawrence. The defense is awesome. Dak Prescott needs better offensive coaching if you want the Dallas Cowboys to win down the road. And look, it doesn't matter. You can Maybe you get rid of Dak Prescott. You bring in Justin Herbert, the quarterback from Oregon. It doesn't matter. The Cowboys must have better offensive coaching. That is their number one problem. 
I want to now shift gears to the Cleveland Browns. Let's talk about Baker Mayfield. I just, oh, I love watching Baker Mayfield play. Baker Mayfield is such a joy. Um, I listen to him mic'd up. I hope you do as well. Look it up on YouTube. The guy is calm. He's cool. He's confident. Owens his mistakes. There was a play where he he stupidly tried to run, like make like run for some yards, got knocked out of bounds, fumbled the ball out of bounds. And uh, I loved it because he just was like, yeah, he made fun of us. He's like, I was stupid. I don't know what I'm doing. He made fun of himself. And I respect that and I love that. That's what good leaders do is they own their mistakes. I, I've learned a lot about football watching Baker Mayfield. A lot about fundamentals uh, from a quarterback standpoint. I always had average arm strength growing up. And uh, Baker Mayfield is a prime example of how to get the most out of your body. He's a small quarterback. He's a short guy. Doesn't have a lot of whip on his arm because, frankly, his arms aren't that long. But Baker Mayfield has flawless mechanics. Where does Baker Mayfield's arm strength come from? I, I, I got to say, he has greater arm strength than I would have thought, and his arm strength is plenty good enough to work in Cleveland. <clears throat> the secret is that Baker Mayfield throws with his legs. For such a short quarterback, has tremendous arm strength and has good enough arm strength to be at the top of the NFL because Baker Mayfield throws with his legs. If you watch Peyton Manning throw, Peyton Manning's back leg comes off the ground like a pitcher throwing a baseball. You watch a pitcher, their back leg comes up behind them. Peyton Manning does the same thing, and he loses a lot of velocity. A lot of Peyton Manning's weight goes up when he throws instead of out. The way Baker Mayfield throws, it's like, it's honestly like a, a batter hitting a baseball. A lot of torque comes from his hips and from his core. Baker Mayfield's back leg stays on the ground. He turns on it. He creates torque and velocity with his legs. I love it. It's fun to watch. I learned from that. I started throwing the ball the way Baker Mayfield does. I play flag football. We dominate. Haven't lost a game all year. But my weight, when I throw the football, my weight used to go up instead of out. Now it goes across my body using my core, and I throw the ball like Baker Mayfield does. My back leg turns on it like I'm hitting a baseball. Throw a lot harder with more velocity, and I throw about 10 yards farther. That's what I love about Baker Mayfield. You can watch, you can learn a lot from him about leadership, how to own your mistakes, and honestly, how to throw football. His mechanics are some of the best in the NFL. He's got a stronger arm than most, even though he's shorter than all of them because he has nearly flawless mechanics. Now, while we're talking about Baker Mayfield, I want to say one thing. It's worth noting. Baker Mayfield was the right choice for the Cleveland Browns to make with the number one overall pick. John Dorsey did a great job. And you can praise Baker Mayfield without knocking Sam Darnold. It's very clear to me Baker Mayfield was more ready to start day one than Sam Darnold was. His leadership, his attitude, all of that's really helping the Browns. Who Baker Mayfield is is why Baker Mayfield was the right decision for the Cleveland Browns. Not only just the fact that he was ready to play in the NFL. Baker Mayfield is turning things around in Cleveland, and John Dorsey clearly made the right decision drafting Baker Mayfield Number one overall. I love it. He's fun to watch. I'm rooting for him. And I'm so excited for the Cleveland Browns. They found their franchise quarterback. I have no doubt about it. I can't wait to watch how he develops over the years. And, and frankly, it's just going to be a fun ride. I mean, I really hope he can find success in Cleveland with the Browns. I mean, it's been my whole life. I've been waiting for years for the Cleveland Browns to figure it out. And it seems like they finally have their quarterback and are on the road to turning things around in Cleveland. Thank goodness. I'm so happy about it. <clears throat> so how about Sam Darnold? 
How about Sam Darnold? I don't know. Two weeks ago, Sam Darnold threw four interceptions. It was ugly. Put the Miami Dolphins. And so I looked at the tape. I had to know what happened. I didn't understand. I, I read the stat line. He was like 21 for 39. In fact, he was. He was 29 for 39. 229 yards, four interceptions. It was ugly. It sucked. <clears throat> so watch the tape. And watching the film on this game, I learned a lot. I think the first thing, before I talk about the four interceptions, I got to say this. It's clear to me Baker Mayfield was the right choice for the Cleveland Browns to make with the number one overall pick. Baker Mayfield is more prepared to succeed in the NFL right now than Baker Mayfield is. He's clearly more ready. But Sam Darnold's four interceptions... There's a lot behind it. It's not like he just threw... If you remember, Nathan Peterman last year threw five interceptions in the first half of a game. It's atrocious. It's egregious. But the stat line for Sam Darnold, saying Sam Darnold threw four interceptions, it's not enough. It doesn't tell the complete story. You need to really dive into what happened between each interception, what went on. The stat line's not enough. This is not the same situation as Nathan Peterman throwing a bunch of interceptions. If you understand, three of Sam Darnold's four interceptions came in the fourth quarter. So I want to go through each interception one at a time. What happened? Are they concerning? And kind of break down this game. Should we be really concerned about Sam Darnold, or is he going to figure it out down the road? <clears throat> the first interception was a common college mistake. I'm not saying that's right. I'm not saying you should do that as an NFL quarterback, but here's what happened. One of Sam Darnold's receivers was running a corner route. Sam Darnold locked, locked eyes with him and said, look, I can see you. You can see me. There's nobody in between us. And he threw the ball to the receiver. Well, when he did that, one of the 40, I think it was Kiko Alonso, one of the Dolphins linebackers, stepped between the two and picked off the ball. That happens. You got to learn that just because you can see a guy make eye contact with him doesn't mean he's open. Just because there's a window, a guy's not necessarily open. You need to have better anticipation than Sam Darnold showed. It's also worth noting, this was a corner route. Sam Darnold threw the ball on a line right right at his guy rather than throwing the ball to the corner. It's like he was lazy. I don't know what happened here, but clearly not an NFL throw, not a great decision, uh, but understandable. That's why it happened. He clearly made a college mistake. I can see you. There's a passing window. I'm going to throw it late to you. And sadly, a guy stepped in front of the ball. I mean, Sam Darnold's youth has showed a lot in this game. We, We forget that Sam Darnold should still be a junior at USC. He left early. He left two years early from USC. It's also worth noting that the Jets' offense really mightily struggled against the Miami Dolphins. Had a bunch of drops, many three and outs, missed a field goal. The offensive line wasn't good. Sam Darnold was sacked four times. He was running for his life. But the number one thing the Miami Dolphins did that really hurt Sam Darnold is they took away his checkdowns. You're taught as a quarterback. I'm going to go through all the way through my reads. First, second, third, fourth. If nothing's open... You find the running back, you check it down. Multiple times, Sam Darnold went to check down to the running back, and there was a linebacker standing right next to him. Sucked. Because if you ever, the guy would, you fake the block, nothing's there. Oh, check down right in front of Sam Darnold. The problem is that's not creative at all. What the Dolphins started doing was saying, you linebacker, you got the running back, stay with him, take away the check down. And when Sam Darnold couldn't check the ball down, he was screwed. He got sacked multiple times because of that. He ran around extending plays, threw interceptions down the field because of that. That was a big issue for the New York Jets. And we learned that clearly the Jets need to innovate and make some kind of changes because their checkdown system right now is not good enough. It's too easy to take it away. 
And when you take away Sam Darnold's check down, he wasn't coached to know what to do. He was screwed. How about the second interception? What happened on the second interception? <clears throat> Sam Darnold's second interception was by far his worst. They were down 3-6 to six early in the fourth quarter. Basically had no offensive success. Remember, they missed a field goal. It should be 6-6 six to six by now, but the Jets missed a field goal. Sam Darnold's probably frustrated, and um, he just made a terrible, terrible decision. Made a horrible, threw a horrible interception. <clears throat> Sam Darnold caught the ball, turned to the right, threw an out route. Linebacker was sitting directly underneath it, jumped the route, pick six. It was awful, lackadaisical, inexcusable. Here's what it's looked like. It looked like Sam Darnold was guessing. Guessing and hoping he made the right decision. Didn't look like he read the play at all. I'm going to throw here. He did pick six. It was awful. You can't do that. You can't do that at all. And Sam Darnold looked out of it. The word is lackadaisical. He just looked like he wasn't engaged. In spite of that, I still felt bad for Sam Darnold at times. Remember, he was sacked multiple times. Had no checkdowns. I think the guy's getting frustrated at this point. But regardless, you cannot have an interception like that. By far, his worst interception was the second interception to pick six. He just didn't even read it. He just guessed and hoped it would work out. How about his third interception? His next interception came with four minutes left in the fourth quarter, down six to 13. Uh, again, this was a situation where he went to check down the ball. He looked at the check down, linebacker right next to it. Okay. Ran to his left, kind of running away from pressure. Threw the ball late over the middle. Again, you can't do that. Here's why I think this interception happened. The first one, college mistake. Second one, I don't know what you're doing, Sam. That's a horrible decision. This was another bad decision, but this came because I think he's trying to do too much. Remember, by this point of the game, Sam Darnold is backed into a corner. He's hitting guys in the hands. They're not catching the ball. He's been running for his life all game. Can't even check the ball down. He can't even do what his coaches tell him. I would imagine by this point of the game, Sam Darnold felt hopeless. And that's, that's why I think he threw the ball late over the middle. Now, his last interception was, his, that was his third interception. Now, his fourth interception, I think, is forgivable. His fourth interception came on fourth and 10. 41 seconds left. He's on the run. People are chasing him from behind. Throws the ball way downfield, just giving his receiver a chance. Ball got picked off. Listed as his fourth interception on the stats. I don't know that... I hate those ones. A fourth and fourth and ten at the end of the game trying to make a play. That's entirely forgivable. By far the worst interception of the day was the pick six. The second one was the first one was pretty bad too. Like, what are you doing? The third one, I think he's trying to do too much. And the last one's entirely forgivable. In my book, three really bad interceptions. The fourth one just happens. Um, but it's not as simple as saying Sam Darnold threw four interceptions. And that's not a fair characterization of the game. Remember, Sam Darnold's getting no help. That's not a great excuse, um, but their offense sucked, and Sam Darnold sucked. His teammates were terrible. But I'm not going to panic about Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold needs to get better offense around him, but he also needs to learn these lessons, these bad interceptions. Hey, don't throw the ball late over the middle. If you see a guy make eye contact with him, that doesn't necessarily mean he's open. You got to read it. You can't guess. Things like that It might sound obvious to someone like me, especially when I'm breaking it down. But Sam Darnold needs to learn these lessons now. You can't make these mistakes. You gotta lock in every play. You gotta do better. You gotta do this. You gotta do that. You can't try to do too much. I mean, at USC, Sam Darnold got away with these mistakes because his arm was good enough. He could throw the ball late over the middle, and it worked because his arm was better than everybody else, and he made a play. 
You can't do that in the NFL. You can't take shots downfield simply with your arm talent. That's not enough in the NFL. Unless you're Patrick Mahomes, you can get away with it. Sam Darnold, sadly, is not Patrick Mahomes. I believe in Sam Darnold. I think he's okay. I think he's fine. He had a really bad game. I think he's playing again this Sunday, but Sam Darnold needs to polish it up. I hope he watched the film and really took in everything that happened against the Miami Dolphins said, look, I I can't do that again. Got to have a better game plan. He even said that in his quote. He said, I got to have a better game plan. Completely agree. Sam Darnold's going to be okay. And these are important lessons he needs to learn now. I'd rather him learn this now. Well, the Jets are terrible. Well, they don't have a great roster to help him. Then be learning it with a good roster and missing out on opportunities to win close games. The Jets season is lost. Sorry to say that, but true. The rest of the year, the objective of this season for the New York Jets is how can we develop Sam Darnold? How can we give him experiences and lessons that he can learn from? Sam Darnold's okay. Four interceptions, it was ugly, not great, but he's going to be all right. In the end, I think there are a lot of good, valuable lessons for Sam Darnold to learn from. Okay, we have two things I want to do next. Uh, Two more topics, and then we're done with the show. Uh, We're 44 minutes in. Perfect. That's that's right on time. Uh, My throat is killing me. I am so... (sighs) I'm tired. Uh, I think I'm going to take a short break, actually. We're going to do quick opinions next, uh, and then we will do pick six to end the show, and that will be the day. So, without further ado, my name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Uh, two things left I want to talk about. Very brief. I want to do now quick opinions. Uh, it's a segment you guys seem to really love last week. I'm so excited about that. Got a lot of great feedback. I think I like quick opinions more than I do Zach is a genius. I just like the tempo. I don't like having to come up with, is it good? Is it bad? Did I do? Did I nail it? Did I miss? None of that, none of that pressure. I like just saying, here's what I think. Very brief. Keep doing some quick hits. Uh, again, this is quick opinions. It's where I talk about stuff that... I don't really have enough to fill a full segment about for each one, so I put them all together in a giant glob and call it quick opinions. The first thing I want to talk about is college football. Some people have said that Oklahoma should make it into the college football playoff instead of Michigan because supposedly, supposedly with a D, I think, the the theory is that Oklahoma could put up more points on Alabama, that their, their ability to score points would be more of a challenge for Alabama. I completely, completely disagree, but I like the thought process. I like the idea of trying to give Alabama a good game. The problem is I don't care about challenging Alabama's defense. I want to challenge Alabama's quarterback to a tongue of a low. He's dominated. He threw like one pass in the entire fourth quarter all year so far this season. And I think Michigan's defense would give Al- to a tongue of a low his best challenge all year. That's what I want to see. I don't care about scoring points in Alabama. If Alabama plays Oklahoma, they win 70 to 30. Woo, you put up 30 points, but you gave up 70. It doesn't matter. No, I want to see Alabama's quarterback, their offense get challenged by a great defense like Michigan. That's what I want to see in a good matchup. Yes, we. I think we should consider what would be a good matchup from the fourth seed. Who would play Alabama the best? The problem is everyone's got the wrong thinking. It's not trying to score points in Alabama. It's who can potentially stop Tua Tungvaluwa. Honestly, I don't think anybody can. I think Tua is going to dominate any defense he plays. But Michigan is the team that should get to play Alabama, not Oklahoma, because their defense could challenge Alabama's quarterback, Tua Tungvaluwa. Second thing I want to talk about uh, is in the NBA. This is going to be, a lot of people are going to get mad about this. Either you're going to love this, think it's hilarious, or you're going to get really mad. My friends and I have had an ongoing debate this week. Um, most of my friends think Zion Williamson 
Would you rather have Zion Williamson or Paul George on your team? Remember Zion Williamson, he's a freshman at Duke, uh, but he's dominating. He's incredible. And Paul George is a perennial NBA all-star, which is like, of course, yeah, Paul George clearly is a better player than Zion Williamson. But here's why I would rather have Zion Williamson on my team. If I'm the New York Nets, if I'm the Brooklyn Nets, if I'm a horrible team that has nobody paying attention to me, even if Zion's a gimmick, I would rather have Zion Williamson. Because Zion Williamson brings a lot of intrigue. We know, I'm sorry to say, but we know what Paul George is. He's, he's hit his ceiling. He's, he's a solid player. He's a perennial all-star. But what does that really mean? I don't know. That entertaining is that I sell tickets? Zion Williamson gets me in the door. Not to mention, I have no idea what he could become. Again, Paul George has hit his ceiling. We don't know what Zion Williamson's ceiling is, and that's interesting to me. If I'm a bad team in the NBA, I would rather have Zion Williamson than Paul George. The second thing I want to talk about are celebrations in the NFL. Everybody got mad at Michael Thomas for the cell phone celebration. Remember, he scored the go-ahead touchdown against the LA Rams, pulled out his cell phone, uh, and, and I think he it was referring to Joe Horn's touchdown a long time ago back in the day. I had no problem with Michael Thomas's touchdown celebration. Here's why. is the moment. He just scored the game-winning go-ahead touchdown against the LA Rams. It's awesome. It's a big moment. Go ahead and celebrate. Do whatever you want. The problem I have with celebrating is when you're down 35 to 10, when you have no reason to celebrate. Don't celebrate. Don't have some crazy, elaborate, like bowling, all the players fall over. If you're down by a lot, if you're still early in the game, you're close. I think the Seahawks had one. They won, but there was a, two weeks ago, the Seahawks had this crazy, elaborate celebration that didn't even win the game. I think they lost to the Chargers. It's like, you can't do that. If you're going to celebrate, you'd better be doing it in a big moment, up by a lot, and sure, you're going to win. I don't want to see your celebration on Instagram from a game that you lost. That's what I don't like. Let's go back to the NBA. The Ma- I, it's just very brief. I love watching Luka Doncic, uh, the Mavericks rookie. I, he's just a, a blast. I love the guy. He's, got, he's scoring 19 points per game, shooting 47%. I don't know. I just find myself rooting for him. And I can't help but compare him to... Brandon Ingram. Let's talk about Brandon Ingram. Brandon Ingram. Um, is it just me? Is Brandon Ingram kind of a disappointment this year? I, I don't know. I'm not really engaged with what the LA Lakers fans feel. Uh, and maybe it's more of a question, but Brandon Ingram's only scoring 15 points per game, and he's only shooting 44%. Luka Doncic is playing better than Brandon Ingram. Now, and maybe it's because the Lakers have more scores. He gets fewer opportunities. I don't know. But it seems to me, I mean, Brandon Ingram, 6'9", buck 90, weighs 10 more pounds than me. And I, I'm, not a, I'm not a fat guy. I mean, I, I, I'm not skinny either, but I've got some muscle. I'm normal-sized. The fact that Brandon Ingram's only 10 pounds heavier than me is incredibly concerning. Uh, and it just seems like Brandon Ingram's been a disappointment this year. We're, we're only a couple games in, but he's not developing like I'd wanted to see from Brandon Ingram. Am I alone? Is that how Lakers fans feel? I mean, again, Luka Doncic's numbers are better than Brandon Ingram's. And that's concerning. I, I don't know. Is Brandon Ingram disappointment? You please tell me. Next thing I want to talk about is... Um, let's talk about a couple NFL stories in a row. First of all, people are burning Le'Veon Bell's jersey. I think this is so, so stupid. The comparison I would make to burning jerseys is running a marathon or going to the gym. There's a, there's a really great sketch on YouTube. It's called, Girl Runs a Marathon and Doesn't Tell Anybody. And it's about the idea that people go to the gym and all they do is brag about it. And it's like, would you really do that if you didn't have anyone to tell? 
That's definitely true with burning jerseys. Nobody would burn a jersey if there wasn't social media. The only reason people do it is to get attention. I think it's dumb. It's annoying. I think Le'Veon Bell did a lot for Pittsburgh. It's sad it ended, but that's how things work. And so I think people burning jerseys, it's ridiculous and shouldn't happen. The next thing I want to talk about is the Miami Dolphins. It might be time for the Dolphins to move on from Ryan Tannehill. Ryan Tannehill is 30, and sadly he's injured again. The guy's only played in five games so far this year. I think he's being outplayed by Brock Osweiler. Brock Osweiler's numbers are slightly better. Uh, I don't know. I think the Dolphins had a chance to trade up for Josh Rosen. They passed on it. It looks like that was a mistake right now. And uh, there are now reports that the Dolphins are interested in Oregon quarterback Justin Herbert. I agree. I think it's time for Miami to move on from Ryan Tannehill. He's been subpar for years. He's already 30 years old. You should be looking for a replacement for Ryan Tannehill as soon as possible because he's simply not good enough. We keep waiting for him to show up, and he just gets hurt every year. He's always slightly underwhelming, and uh, I think it's time for the Dolphins to move on from Ryan Tannehill. <clears throat> How about Rob Gronkowski? Rob Gronkowski's trade value has fallen off a cliff, uh, which is weird because the Patriots usually trade people before they lose their value. I don't know if maybe Bill Belichick was hoping that he's, I think Bill Belichick obviously made the decision. You know what? Gronk is worth the, his upside is worth having him and losing his value. We're not getting anything for him later down the road. I mean, remember early in the year, the Patriots had nothing, nobody to throw the ball to, nobody reliable. But I mean, so far this year, Rob Gronkowski's missed three games. He's also only got caught one touchdown. I mean, it's very clear to me, Rob Gronkowski's value is going down incredibly quickly. Last thing I want to talk about is LaMelo Ball. Uh, this, this story excites me a lot. LaMelo Ball recently re-enrolled in high school. He's going to uh, Spire Institute in Ohio. My question is this. Uh, I, first of all, I need to state this. It's really, people are not sure whether LaMelo Ball is going to be eligible to play in the NCAA or not. Part of that's because he played professionally in Lithuania. Remember, he played professional basketball. Uh, supposedly, he says... He never took any money, uh, but uh, we don't know. We don't know how the NCAA is going to rule on that. It's very possible the Mellow Ball is not allowed, will not be allowed to play in the NCAA. Here's my question: Even though it's up in the air, why do small universities, people like DePaul University, people like Washington State, people who have trouble with attendance, why are desperate college basketball programs not already giving the Mellow Ball offers? Even if it's a gimmick, even if the mellow ball is not good enough to play in NBA in, in the NCAA basketball, I would still give him a scholarship offer because he brings intrigue. It's my same reason why I thought that the coach from Louisville should have been hired by Rick Pitino. I thought, I thought Washington State should have hired Rick Pitino because you're a desperate program that needs intrigue, that needs interest. A desperate program that needs intrigue and interest should offer LaMelo Ball a scholarship. Even if you don't think it can help you basketball-wise, you're going to get people in the building. You're going to get a lot of press. You're going to get a lot of interest. I would bring LaMelo Ball into my basketball program if I'm not a winning program. I would offer him right now, even if he doesn't become eligible to play in the NCAA. What do you have to lose? Start the battle. Start that process. Get yourself in the headlines. I would absolutely offer LaMelo Ball if I was a struggling, desperate NCAA basketball program. Guys, that has been Quick Opinions. I think we had nine of them today, uh, which is quite a bit. I hope you liked it. hope you enjoyed it. Uh, and I want to now move on to pick six. 
So this is pick six. I do this every week. I pick six NFL games of the week. Uh, and I want to just jump into it. I want to start with the Vikings at the Bears. I'm picking the Vikings. Remember, the Bears are 6-3. and three. The Vikings are 5-3-1. and one. This is very simple. The Vikings have a better quarterback. I know the Bears have a better defense, but I don't think that really matters in the NFL these days. I'm picking the Vikings to beat the Bears. I think it's on Sunday Night Football. going to be a great game. Um, I encourage you to watch. I'm picking the Vikings to win. The second game I want to talk about is the Eagles at the Saints. This game makes me nervous. I, I'm a guy, I love Drew Brees. I hope the Saints win the Super Bowl this year. And uh, the Eagles definitely have the firepower to beat the Saints. They have everything you need. A solid quarterback, a great defense, a lot of skill players, a lot of, a lot of components you need if you're going to beat a great team like the New Orleans Saints. The reason why I'm picking the Saints to win, though, is because this is a home game in New Orleans. That matters a lot. It's hard to beat the Saints in their dome. Drew Brees has been on point all year. Carson Wentz is still kind of finding his way, coming back from an injury. And so I'm picking the Saints to beat the Eagles on Sunday. My third game I want to talk about is the Texans at the Redskins. Uh, This is one of my two most fascinating games of the week. I'm picking the Redskins to win. I mean, look, until Alex Smith and Adrian Peterson give me a reason to doubt them, I'm going to believe in them. I, I made the mistake earlier this year. I said, ah, let's slow down. Let's wait for Adrian Peterson and Alex Smith to, to prove themselves. I think they have. And until they give me reason to show they're falling off a cliff, I'm going to bet on them. I'm picking the Redskins to win. However, a wild card factor in this game is Deshaun Watson's ability to run the ball. He would give the Redskins fits if he runs around and buys a lot of time. And it's very possible that the Texans win this game. I think both teams have a chance. I'm picking the Redskins to get the win at home. <clears throat> How about the Titans at the Colts? I'm picking the Colts to win, uh, partially because the Titans are coming off of an emotional beatdown of the New England Patriots. Remember, the Titans just beat the Patriots. It was a huge win for them. Got a lot of press, a lot of emotion, tons of quotes. They're riding really, really high. I think Aaron Rodgers, excuse me, I think Andrew Luck is going to bring them back down. Uh, I think that Andrew Luck, here's the thing. Andrew Luck hasn't been sacked in four straight games. I do believe that streak is going to end on Sunday. But regardless, I think the Colts are going to win and beat the Titans at home on Sunday. The fifth game I want to talk about is the Cowboys at the Falcons. I guess I'm picking all home teams this week, aren't I? Nope, I'm picking the Vikings to go into Chicago. Uh, I'm picking the Falcons to beat the Cowboys at home. Sorry, the Cowboys are going to Atlanta to play the Falcons. The Falcons are going to win. I think it's going to be ugly. I think it could be ugly. I don't know. If the game stays physical, if the Cowboys can engage the Falcons physically, I think they could keep the game tight. But I think it's very possible the Falcons win by two touchdowns or more. And the key matchup to watch is the offensive defensive lines for both teams. How does the Falcons' defensive line play the Cowboys' offensive line? Does the Cowboys' offensive line struggle? Do they get a lot of push? If they can run the ball really well, that makes a huge difference for the Cowboys. But how does a defensive line for the Cowboys play the Falcons' offensive line? The Cowboys' defensive line is kind of frightening. Um, I think that could really severely limit Matt Ryan. If the Cowboys can get a lot of pressure, they can have a lot of success against the Falcons. The sixth and final game I want to pick is the Chiefs. At the Rams. Um, look, I, I'm picking the Rams. It, this is a toss-up. I have no idea. I'm going to pick the Rams to win. They have a, light, a slightly better defense. They're also playing at home. But uh, the truth is, I have no idea who's going to win this game. Monday Night Football, it's going to be a great matchup. Two offensive geniuses are coaching. Two great quarterbacks. I think the two next great quarterbacks in the NFL, Jared Goff and Patrick Mahomes. I'm picking the Rams to win. 
there's no, it's just a gut feeling. I have no reason behind it, but I do think the Rams are going to win this game uh, by a tight, like by like a field goal late. It's going to be a really close game down to the wire. Uh, and I could very easily be wrong. Patrick Mahomes is probably the NFL MVP and uh, they got a lot of weapons. So I don't know that, I think it might neutralize some of the Rams advantage on defense. And so I, I have no idea what's going to happen. Picking the Rams to win, but watch Monday night football. Rams, Chiefs, they're both nine and one. It's going to be a fantastic game. Guys, that has been pick six. Uh, and that's honestly been my show. I really appreciate you guys listening. Uh, remember, you can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast as well as my best, most interesting clips. Help me grow by telling your friends about this show. Uh, I, thank you so much for listening. It means a lot to me. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to do a podcast next Tuesday. I'm for sure not doing a show next Friday. I work the Apple Cup. It's the... Uh, Washington State, Washington game. I'll be working for, I think it's Fox Sports next week. No, I, I, don't know. I just show up. They, they tell me where to go and I do it. Uh, but I, I'm working the football game next Friday. I will not be doing a show. I might do a show from my bedroom uh, in Portland, Oregon next Tuesday. Not sure yet. I'm going to bring my equipment. We will find out. It's going to be a game time decision. But if I don't do a show next week, I apologize. I'll be back for sure a week from Tuesday. And so I just want to say thank you so much. Hope you guys have a great Thanksgiving. Uh, I might see you on Tuesday, might not, but I appreciate you guys regardless. Thank you so much. My name is Zach Schaumler. Have a great day. Ba-dum-bum, bam. We are done. Bye.